Welcome back to Caracast, the podcast from Kerasoft, the trusted government IT solutions provider. Subscribe to get the latest technology updates in the public sector. I'm Corey Baumgartner, your host from the Kerasoft production team. On behalf of Fortinet, we would like to welcome you to today's podcast, focused around leveraging technology for data-driven government. Sarah Hall, Inspector General of Florida Department of Management Services, Tim Davis, Chief Information Officer in the City of Tallahassee, Michelle Taylor, Chief Information Officer of Leon County Government, and Josh Pearl, Director of Sales Engineering in the Public Sector at Fortinet, will provide insight on how agencies can enhance digital service delivery and customer experience through modernizing technology. Well, welcome everyone and thank you for joining us today. You know, Governor Ron DeSantis' vision to better leverage technology and support a data-driven government led to the establishment of the Florida Digital Service. The goal of Florida Digital Services is to deliver better government services and transparency to Floridians through design and technology. This goal, by definition and necessity, okay, expands the role of technology for delivering secure digital government across the state. During our first hour, we're gonna have a chat with our guests to explore how state, county, and local agencies and governments are tapping information technology to put the citizens' needs first and efficiently and effectively use technology to deliver successful outcomes throughout the state. Our discussion is also going to provide insight on how agencies can meet those future challenges through modernizing technology. First off, I'm really happy to welcome Sarah Hall. Sarah is the Inspector General for the Florida Department of Management Services. And joining Sarah today is Michelle Taylor, the Chief Information Officer for Leon County. And with Sarah and Michelle, I'm also happy to welcome Tim Davis, the Chief Information Officer for the City of Tallahassee. And then from the private sector today is Josh Pearl, the Director of Sales of Engineering for Southeast Public Sector of Fortinet. So Sarah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the Florida Department of Management Services? Sure, well, thank you very much for having me today. I really appreciate it. So um, as Mike said, I am currently serving as the Inspector General for the Department of Management Services. In Florida, every agency has an Office of Inspector General, and we're charged with um, ensuring, performing, conducting activities that ensure accountability, integrity, and efficiency throughout state government. And so in our individual agencies, we're responsible to perform internal audits and administrative investigations. So um, in doing so, we are independent and objective, and of course, we need to stay abreast of emerging technology and what the current business is focused on. I, I have over 20 years of experience doing this type of work. My main focus has been in IT audit, in risk assessment, risk management, and governance. And also before that, I worked for Accenture as a process consultant where I participated in every phase of the systems development life cycle. DMS itself is the business arm of government and serves more than 1.1 million customers to provide workforce and business operational support to Florida state government. Wow. So Michelle, why don't you share with us a little bit about your background and what you're doing with Leon County? Tim and I regularly meet and compare notes and things like that. So this is definitely an opportunity for us all to take a note and compare notes. 
Um, so my background is um, I have a um, bachelor's and master's degree in computer science from FSU. Um, I was able to obtain that because I worked at FSU for a number of years. And um, you may be aware that if you work for FSU, you get so many free hours per semester. And um, so I took advantage of that. While I was Good there. deal. And um, even, even while pregnant, waddling all the way down. Yeah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> So dedication, folks. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, so anyway, so uh, I, I came to the county 25 years ago from FSU, and um, I'm now the CIO for Leon County. Um, and that started January of 2020. So two months later, the pandemic hit. There was no CIO playbook for how to deal with the pandemic. For if no matter how long you've been the CIO, there wasn't there wasn't a playbook. And um, so we, we've been able to successfully navigate that. And um, that's all in thanks to the wonderful team that I have of dedicated professionals that um, are all about customer service. Leon County IT, we, we serve not only Leon County government, which are the things you think of like the libraries and the public works road crews and the permitting office and the parks and rec offices and those kinds of things. But um, how we're a little bit unique with Leon County IT, we also support the, um, uh, the other constitutional offices, as we call them, mm -hmm. the public defender, the state attorney, the courts, tax collector, property appraiser, um, sheriff's office. Um, we do the, the, the common IT functions for those like networking and internet services and Office 365 and um, a virtual compute environment for servers and whatnot. So we handle those kinds of things so that their IT offices can handle the things that are very specific to the things that they do, um, like the sheriff's office and the MDCs and the cars. They handle those things, but we handle the infrastructure type things so they don't have to have a special team to, to deal with those. So, so you got your plate pretty full then, don't you? It's a very diverse group. Oh, and I left off supervisor collections there and there too, medical wow. examiner, you know. So um, it's it's a, a wide range of customer types and different needs. Well, it'll be really interesting to hear your aspect or um, on the pandemic and, and how you were thrown into that and how you how you pulled through it because your your services covers everybody, everything. So so it must have been really interesting. So, Steve or Tim, how about you? Could you share a little bit of your background and and what you're doing? Sure, Mike. Um, as Michelle has already said, um, we work hand in hand. I mean, we're we're like sister agencies, and uh, and also see some representatives as part of the Fijis in the back. Uh, I believe that's Pasco County back there in the back. Yeah, so we 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 definitely like to uh, share information across okay. uh, jurisdictions and uh, municipalities. So kind of my background, my degrees was in electrical engineering. Um, my desire was to kind of leave Tallahassee after I graduated. Um, I think 30 some odd years later, I'm still here. So evidently <laughs> uh, something here was very, very good for me. Uh, my first job coming out was an internship at FDLE. Uh, and then when I got with FDLE, I kind of liked some of the things that they were doing, the visions that they had. Ended up moving over into the, um, uh, information resource management department, where I was responsible for the investigation and forensics. That's kind of got me introduced to a lot of the data and sharing uh, across the state of Florida, uh, also with the uh, evidence management system. And then uh, after being with the state government for a little bit over 10 years, 12 years or so, 
um, moved back, moved over to private industry. Um, Want to go in, put my foot in the water, and see how private industry was. Stayed there maybe about five years. Uh, realized that private industry was not really a fun thing. It was fun for the excitement in terms of technology, but you know when you wake up and look at CNBC and you see, oh, you got getting ready to lay off X thousands of employees, and then you get to work and find out that you're one of the ones. You're kind of like, uh, private is not really where I want to end up at. Uh, so I ended up going back to coming here to the city of Tallahassee. Came in in 2009. Uh, and then at, uh, went from that right there, kind of moved up to this position in terms of CIO, and I've been CIO for three years. Uh, a lot of the common things that you, you, you kind of see and experience is that you always want to find out, get partnerships, and I think that's very important to um, actually understand. It may not be the way that you're going to implement it, but you want to actually understand pitfalls, different aspects of it, so that you can then figure out your own plan of attack. Excuse me. And so um, with that right there, I do believe that this is going to be a great uh, panel discussion because it's going to give us views from different perspectives and allow each and every one of us to kind of glean from it what we need and then figure out how we can take it back to our shops and then do something better. Well, thanks a lot. What a great group of panelists that we have here today. And you're absolutely right. You know, the interoperability, the sharing of information, the working together. And you, you, we're going to be able to see it from all aspects uh, across the state of Florida today. So that's, that's really fantastic. Thank you so much. So, Sarah, we're going to kick off with you. You know, as an inspector general in Florida, you have a key leadership role for promoting effectiveness, efficiency, and security, and, and security and quality. So for information technology, what are the key focus areas for the inspector general community? Sure. So like I mentioned before, every state agency has an office of inspector general and within that office contains the internal audit function. And when you look at internal audit, um, the Institute of Internal Audits has a publication that they call the three lines of defense. And so management would be the first line of defense and then risk would be second. And then third would be internal audit. And so what we provide is an insurance to management that what they think is in place is actually there, and if it is there, is it working effectively? So we work hand in hand in that in that in that mode, and I think we can all agree that cybersecurity is an important priority for all of us, regardless of what industry you're in, regardless if you're in public or private. It is definitely a risk, and one that has transcended um, not only IT specific, so you know just CIOs are concerned, but now it's bleeding into business, right? I mean, you just have to look in the paper on the news reports and see how many targets there are of cyber attacks and how that's affecting every part of business and what that comes down to. So our community plays a very important role in offering that assurance service for management. And it was also recognized by the Florida legislature. So back in 2021, legislation was passed actually requiring every inspector general to have a dedicated cybersecurity audit plan as part of their normal work plan. So we always focused on IT audit if we could, but now it is actually mandated that we encompass cybersecurity and actually plan for it separately. And so to meet that need, the chief inspector general for the state of Florida, who apologizes for not being able to be here, she um, brought us together, a group of us together, and last fiscal year, we did an enterprise-wide audit. So every agency did their independent audit, but we had the same scope and objectives. And we did that, it was on continuous monitoring, 
So it was completed and, and I think approximately 22 agencies participated in that. This year we're doing a similar thing and we're looking identi at identity and access management. So that is definitely something that um, our community helps with um, regarding this topic. It's incredible. You think, you know, Inspector General, you know, uh, IT security, you know, cyber, where does it, you see how it fits in. It's all, it's all part of the teamsmanship that we we're talking about earlier and how it works together. That's really interesting. That's really great. So uh, Michelle, we were talking, you know, earlier about how the CIO of Leon County, you've got a bunch on your plate. I mean, you've got a lot. So what would you say are your primary goals for advancing IT capabilities within Leon County and how does technology play a role uh, with those goals. I mean, what is the strategy for advancing these focus areas of yours? Um, our strategy is actually because we have so many, such a diverse customer base, um, the strategy is really not even about the IT part. It's more about building those relationships that we talked about, whether they're external with our sister agencies or with our um, other agencies throughout the state. But for our internal customers, it's um, building that, uh, listening to their needs, understanding what their needs are, building that level of trust um, with a goal of them seeing us as just an extension of their staff, not as a service provider, somebody they can hire and fire. Although constitutional officers is certainly within their prerogative not to use our services. So, um, but because we can do so more um, when we pool those resources, as opposed to say, if every single one of those constitutionals had their own internet pipe, that would be far more expensive and far less effective than when we pool all those things. And so now we can have redundancy and things that no, none of us individually would be able to have. Well, we do remember those days, right? When, I do remember <laughs> where they are. <laughs> Um, although in Leon County, and I think that's what makes us unique from, from most, if not all the other counties, I don't, I don't know of anybody else that's doing those kinds of resource sharing to the level that we are in Leon. Okay. Um, so um, we also place staff in customer areas so that, you know, they're there, they're front and center, and they just, they're just a part of the, the normal staff. We can't do that every single office, but we do that in our larger offices, like in court and um, out at our public safety complex, which is also a joint venture that we have with the, the city of Tallahassee. And, um, and, and then we also hold regular meetings with those departments so that, um, you know, we're living up to the, our promises and things that we're supposed to be doing. And it also gives them an opportunity to give us information on things they're thinking about doing so that we can help them be uh, successful. And so um, the goal, the outcome is by making ourselves an integral part of that and really being part of their team and not seen as a separate team, it gives us, us and our customers the opportunity for them to come to us and, and share the things they're thinking about and, and, um, and, and then we can see how we can help them meet their needs through various technology solutions. Well, it seems like a really smart way of doing business when you think about it, to embed your folks in along with the customer so that what you're looking at, you're able to see the issues actually before they surface. Before they, and a lot of times I imagine you're able to see issues before they become issues right. and you're able to respond to them and take care they're of them. They're the canary in the mine, that's yep. what they are. Okay, absolutely. That's fantastic. Great idea and a great way of doing it. And and again, I think we're seeing a theme here, building of, of team 
teams working together, partnering with each other, and and it, it really works well. So, so uh, Tim, as a how has modernizing IT procurement helped advance your goals in the city of Tallahassee? Um, maybe about five six years ago, we actually uh, sat down and had a a meeting where we laid out what was going to be the technology roadmap and we kind of addressed a lot of the things that were going on also at that same time we had a city strategic uh, plan that was put out as a five-year plan uh, you go out to talgov.com you'll see all of that information being put out for the different areas that um, the city actually touch and so in that part of that that aspect was again technology is kind of one of the hubs in the, in the the main vein for all of the operations within the city. Uh, but we did not want technology to be the driver for any of the, uh, what we consider to be refresh uh, technology or applications that they were using. And so the goal was kind of first off before, and as you listen to Michelle and we kind of both kind of mimic the very same model, it's first identify what are the business processes that needs to improve as it relates to your uh, area, as opposed to, I've got a 2003 server. I'm sitting there writing on an Oracle 9i, and it's a legacy system, and I need to get rid of it. Of course, that's the first thing we see from IT is that we've got all of these systems that now makes us vulnerable for any type of attack. We just really need to upgrade. And and as you know, anytime that you take a technology so, um, project, you usually get some pushback because people are like, why do we have to change? This is the way we've been doing business for all these years. <laughs> and what you want to do is just, hey, I'm, I'm, I just got comfortable to this. Or the, my, my greatest thing is to hear, only got three years to retirement. Can you wait to have that retirement? <laughs> <laughs> um, those type of things. And so uh, what the goal and aspects is that we found is that we, as we started talking about more of the business processes and identifying how it was going to improve, Oh, good. Thank you. Uh, how is it going to improve the overall efficiency of the um, government? Those were the conversations that started to then give us budget dollars to make these changes as they were related to technology. And so one of the goals and things that was in that whole plan was how do we then figure out IT from a procurement perspective? Uh, and I know that many of the agencies suffer from the same thing that I'm sure the city of Tallahassee that you guys will identify with is where you have people who go outside of the procurement process and then get IT solutions and then turn around and say, hey, by the way, I just got this subscription. I need you guys to help me get this implemented. Well, we had no idea about your requirements. We had no idea about what it is that you were setting up. And, and matter of fact, in the first interview or first meeting you had with the salesperson, we would have told you that wouldn't have worked in our environment and we wouldn't have gone down this route. And so one of the things that, what, that we actually identified was how do we now make sure that the proper or appropriate people are in the room making those decisions and not misspending funds or doing aspects of it. And so one of that was kind of bringing IT, modernize it so that we could get alerts when someone's making that attempt to actually make those purchases. That changed the game for us in a drastic way because now it wasn't that we were chasing our tail. We got in front of the situation and circumstance and then we can then put up, here's what you need from security compliance. Here's what you need and do in terms of getting into our network. Here's our standards that we require and let us work with the vendor and figure out if this is gonna be a good technical solution and not just a solution that's gonna meet your business needs, but it's gonna be something that the city itself can not only support, but validate that it's gonna be uh, what you expect and anticipate for um, delivery. So a lot of times, and, and I, I've seen this also, and so would you agree with me, 
that the users a lot of times will think, oh, well, you're, you're tying my hands and you're not supporting me. You're not buying what I want. But in, in reality, it's, yeah, we are getting what you want in a sense because it's what's going to work versus you going out there and grabbing something. And yeah, it may work for a week and look really whiz bang. But then a week from now, when it busts, you're dead in the water. And it takes you now six months to, to get back up again. Is that it's basically true. what you're avoiding? Yeah, true. It, it, it was, again, we were not, we tried to change the reputation because as soon as you say technology or you bring it in the IT shop, we're considered as the, the, the group that says no. And it was not saying no, it's that solution that you're proposing is not going to work in our city. Now, could we make it work? Sure. We, I think all of us know that we've got a, a bunch of duct tape and, and I'm, I'm a fan of MacGyver. We are the ones that come in at the last <laughs> moment, you know, you know, run the string between two doorposts and then you put a, a piece of light through the middle and you kind of make it work at some time with the fan blowing. Uh, we were like, look, we don't want to be in that situation anymore. What we want to do is because, again, if majority of your time is downtime of us repairing stuff, how efficient is it going to be for your operations? And so, again, we wanted to come to the table as a partner. We are not sitting here saying that, hey, hitting your hand and saying no. We want to listen to the requirements as well as you and ask some appropriate questions that can then bring up what we consider to be a good conversation about how we're talking about doing this. Because one of the things, one of the main things, and I forgot to say this, um, our city manager was trying hard to get everybody out of silos because, you know, departments, what they do is they say, I want to get this from my department. But we realized because the city has so many integra integrations and services are combined across the board, it is not just one piece of the application that you're putting in, it's a system. And so we have to understand when you put this in, you got upstream and downstream processes that are anticipating something coming. And what we don't wanna do is have a disruption in the overall situation. And that's a lot of what even statewide Florida services is looking at the interoperability across the thing and, and having it work across everybody. We're seeing that theme rolling here also today is, is interoperability is prime in, in what we do and how we work together because it may work for your office, but if it doesn't work outside of your office and across, then you're dead in the water. You can talk to yourself all you want to, but unless you're able to communicate with others, you're not gonna be able to do your mission. Right. Bottom line, it's a great idea. And, and that's how you know the, the um, uh, procurement is so important in the actual technology that, that we're moving forward, modernizing technology. So speaking of which, Josh, you know, we're talking about interoperability. I mean, it's critical today's IT and networking and communication ecosystem. So what are some resources for state, local, and educational entities to take advantage of to ensure that their migration efforts lead to interoperable environments? Absolutely. Well, I think that the first thing you need to do is make sure that you're doing whatever you can to maximize the ROI that you're getting from the tools you've already invested in. And ways to do that are be able to leverage the interoperability of these tools via something like an API connection to ensure that all of the tools that you're using in your environment are able to communicate with each other and be able to optimize the performance and efficiency of each other. So if you're talking about, say, different point solutions that could be tied together using something like an API or a SOAR or a SOC as a service solution along with human services, or if you're talking about investing in something that's a singular platform that has plug and play different components like you know, like a security tool and an infrastructure and networking security tool altogether, that's really what you're looking for to be able to not only maximize the efficiency that you're getting out of 
what you've invested in, but also a way to minimize the investment and, excuse me, minimize the cost of that investment and maximize the output of it. So a lot of times, you know, cost may, it's like when we, at Navo Show, when we got our first supercomputer center, we, we went through the matrix, we thought we could skip the matrix committee because the cost of the computer was gonna be, what, $10 million, something like that, I forget what it was, but it's just, we're talking, decades ago <laughs> when I was young. <laughs> so anyway, but the, the, the trick was we didn't look at the life cycle costs of it. And that life cycle cost ballooned up to like $200 million. And it's like, oh yeah, we have to go to a major committee. So I think that's what you're talking about, right? Is that is that upfront your cost may be minimal, but if you don't look at the long range cost, okay, that's gonna come as a shock to you later on down the line. And and, and so best to do it upfront and, and, and get it involved in there upfront. So Sarah, we're gonna come back to you and, and folks, Believe me, uh, the way I am, you know, excuse my interruptions every once in a while, but it's not that I'm rude. It's just that I get a thought every once in a while. I have to blurt it out before I forget it. So you guys do the same thing. If you have a thought on somebody else, uh, what they're saying, you know, jump in, you know, and, and share it. By all means, don't be shy. So looking, sir, looking at our IT environment from a savvy user's perspective, okay, what have been the IT technology advances over the past few years? for the inspector general community that stand out most in your mind? Okay, definitely. Um, I think about collaboration and data analytics. So um, a lot of the same things that we're talking about when you do data sharing and you're able to um, have the tools to actually dig into that data, you can start seeing trends and anomalies. So two of the biggest examples that I can think of are actually in the federal world. And one of them is the pandemic response Accountability Committee or PRAC that was established by the, the CARES Act to support and coordinate the independent oversight of the $5 trillion in the pandemic relief spending. And the PRAC consists of 21 different inspectors general and select law enforcement partners. And so they have come together, they have worked together to look at different trends. They've established what's called the Pandemic Analytics Center for Excellence or PACE, which is a team of data scientists who have actually using data analytics to root out fraud, waste, abuse, and mismanagement in the pandemic, pandemic relief funds. And some of the things that they do is they, they look for trends and patterns and anomalies, for example, changes clusters of loan applications with similar characteristics, the same IP addresses or dollar amount. They're looking at social media to draw conclusions and they're able to map this all together to see connections across different agencies that if they weren't working together, they wouldn't see those commonalities. And then they're also able to use machine learning to start identifying and recognizing this fraud and making it easier so a person isn't having to put this together. They can use artificial intelligence to actually modify, to um, duplicate some of the steps that a human would do. So it's, it's very exciting in that. And in fact, the chair of the committee, um, he actually... Uh, testified before Congress last Wednesday about their efforts. It's uh, Michael Horowitz um, is the chair of the Pratt Committee, and it's very exciting. And I think um, Joe Biden in his recent address also talked about the important role that the inspector general community has in this fight against fraud, waste, and abuse. So not only is it something that um, I've seen in the internal audit side, but also in the investigation side, that's, that's very exciting. 
So. You know, it's interesting, fraud, waste, and abuse. And, and you go, well, okay, so how's that affecting technology on the thing? What it's doing is getting technology into the hands of those that need it mm -hmm. uh, and, and keeping it, keeping the dollars from being wasted on the fraudsters that are out there that, that they're trying to take it away from the folks that really do need it. So it's a great idea. And, and, and utilizing the ML machine language and, and artificial uh, learning to, in order to do that is really, I mean, that's put in, I don't want to say cutting edge, but pretty close to, mm -hmm. to uh, utilizing the technology that we have today in order to do the job that needs to be done that's out there. And that's very effective use. So that's great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So Michelle, coming back to you, the pandemic highlighted the value of technology and how critical it is in the delivery of government services and to the productivity of state employees. I mean, you were talking about it earlier. There was no rule book for it, but you uh, you kind of figured it out on a run right, right off the bat. So how have you seen Florida refined service delivery over the past a couple of years? And what does the future hold for you? Well, um, in Leon County, our, our culture has been for transparency for our citizens for a very long time. Um, and the pandemic didn't change that. Um, in fact, if anything, it, it, it drove us more to be able to, how can we now do this? Not necessarily with where people have to be in person. And um, move that back just a little bit. I'm hearing an <laughs> echo. And um, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, the pandemic provided us a lot of opportunities for that. Um, we've been able to create ways for citizens who, for whatever reason, can't physically make it to the courthouse for commission meetings, mm -hmm. can participate remotely. Um, you know, that had never been done before. And, and now we still do that. That's something that we maintain so that, you know, for whatever reason that they can't be there, um, that they can still very much be participatory. Uh -oh, sorry, sorry making a loud noise there. And, um, and then, um, you know, there's court proceedings that happen so that um, that's actually saved money, I would imagine, because um, people who testify don't have to come necessarily to be in person anymore. They're still leveraging some remote capabilities with that. We were already doing some of that before the pandemic because um, pub, uh, first appearance on the weekends is done remotely. Mm -hmm. The judge is in one location and can because um, our second judicial circuit is not just in Leon County, it's also the five surrounding counties. And uh, so, so we were doing a little bit of that before. We were also doing some of that uh, video conferencing in the, in the jail for public defenders to be able to meet with their clients in the jail remotely. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, so, we, so this was just, we were able to augment those kinds of things. Um, our CMR team uh, in conjunction with emergency management and Kevin's here, he'll be speaking to you later. Um, you know, they do an awesome job of, keeping the public informed, you know, whether it's the big storm, like a, like a Michael coming through and as it approaches and comes through and then, and then the remediation that happens after, or if it's just an afternoon storm, you know, some of those have created chaos for folks or, or a tornado or whatever the event is. And um, so we've been able to leverage some technologies to help get the word out. You know, if we're sending out alerts, Seconds matter sometimes. Right. Think of a tornado warning as a classic thing. Um, you know, 10 minutes later, it's probably already blown through and done what it's going to do. So it doesn't do any good to get alerts out 10 minutes later. So we've leveraged some technologies like with RSS fees and things like that so that that can um, 
approach more immediacy instead of you know taking longer like in the old days with with manual processes to get out. Um, Zoom and Teams have been um, were wonderful through the pandemic um, and. Uh, that helped provide many aspects, whether it was people working from home um, and various groups of keeping track, you know, being able to keep track of what the employees at home were doing and having those team meetings and sharing information and the collaboration was able to just continue seamlessly. Uh, and, uh, and so, and those things I think are, you know, positive that came out of the pandemic because now those things are easy. Everybody knows how to how to jump on a Teams meeting or jump on a, on a Zoom call. And, um, and so it's just, it's just second nature. So I think that's where the refinement is, is that um, it's helped develop those things. From us meeting with our customers, not all of our customers live in the courthouse. Um, you know, we have the sheriff's office that's way out on the other side of town and, and customers all around. And um, so that's been having those technologies for the remote collaboration. We can now have those meetings um, and we can do them remotely. And um, it, it saves that hour of driving out to the office and then the hour, you know, of the round trip time mm -hmm. that frees up more time for us to be more productive with other things. Um, we found that some of our meetings, uh, we have a, a security meeting where we have certain strategic folks from the different departments that meet and we all come together. And the old way was kind of like this, not that this is bad, but that for that particular thing, you know, it was kind of IT in front of the customers and, and giving information and we got some information back, but it, we found just by happenstance that when we went to um, the, the, the Zoom type meeting or Teams or whichever, um, it was uh, it, it 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 made the playing field a little more equal, and um, and folks seemed it more was a roundtable feel instead of so much an us and them kind of thing. So um, those are the kinds of things that I think that where we're seeing refinement from things that came out of the pand pandemic. It's really amazing what the pandemic, as bad as the pandemic were, was. Uh, technology-wise and IT-wise and security-wise, really, as you think about it, we've made great strides in, in a couple of years that would have probably otherwise taken a decade to do or, three or days. more. We did yeah. it three days. In three days, it's okay. Damn, you're there. Three days, yeah. and um, uh, I don't want to have to ever do it again. I'm glad we did it. <laughs> but you know, the, you, you made a point, though. There are some things that came about by that really rapidly, really quick, that would not have happened for a year or more, okay, they're still in place and are gonna remain in place and are gonna be legacy coming down the line. Sarah, I know with the IG, I mean, that that had to change the way you guys did business and Tim within the city, I mean, that had to change drastically how we're doing business. And it's not just a change that happened right then, that change is gonna last forever. And and it basically jump-started us to where we're moving today and where it's going right now. So yeah, great points, all great points. So uh, speaking, uh, Tim, we're gonna come over to you. How important is it for agencies to share real-time information on cybersecurity and how is Florida doing? And I'm not talking about just like you, but I mean, sharing that information across everybody. Um, yeah, you said, how is Florida doing? How are you doing? Yeah, how do you feel we're doing, you know, as, as, not as a city, mm. county, state, 
because when we're talking cybersecurity and sharing information, that's something that's it's, it's like uh, what you're saying is that like a tornado, it's nanoseconds count in, in some cases on that. So, what do you think? So, so yeah, is is to me is interesting. Um, and I came kind of gave a, a segue with my career with working at FDLE, mm -hmm. and so part of the time that I was at FDLE is when we had um, September 11th. And I worked with the OSI, which is the Office of Statewide Intelligence. FDLE was, uh, I guess, what you would consider to be um, the, the gateway to all of the dollars from the 9-11 Commission to be spread out across the state of Florida. So you got 67 counties, aspects of it. And so it was our job, and I say our job, me, it's along with one of the special agents, um, um, to ride from Pensacola all the way down to uh, Miami, hitting as many of the counties as possible to get them to share data. Uh, and that was a struggle. And, and, and as you know, from the commission, one of the biggest things they came back is that if you would have shared data between the agencies, we probably could have been in a better position um, to be prepared uh, for the events that happened. And so even now, and we're talking in this area, there's still a little bit of, this is my data. I don't know if I really want to share with you the information that I have. Um, but one of the reasons why, you know, me and Michelle kind of stay real close together is because ideally it may not just be city of Tallahassee that they're targeting. It may not be, it could be the fact that the Capitol's over here and, and that has hit the news. And so we figured, hey, if, if they're going to hit, it's just going to be a region that they're going to figure out how to do. That it just makes sense if you've got the state uh, capital, the city or the county, some kind of way has some interaction into it. We just got to figure out where the gateway is to get into it. So if there's an attack, it's going to be kind of coordinated and we need to know exactly what's happening on your side, what's going on on there. And because we've been transparent, because we have those conversations and we're not necessarily worried about, hey, Michelle, what are you going to do with this information? It puts us in a better position and a posture to just say, hey, we just recently seen that you guys are seeing an increase in this level of attack. So maybe we need to be looking at ours or we'll come back and say, Michelle, we're seeing an increase in this aspect of it. And it gives us an opportunity while we it may not hit us now. The idea would be at some point they're going to be trying this and not only with the county, but also have relationships with the universities here, because, again, right. what you end up doing is you just you just try to figure out it is to me it's strength in numbers. And just identifying what it is, uh, it, we have different tools that we use. There are different ways in which we've got our, our architects set up, but there are similarities. And so, in that, we want to then identify again because we share so much in terms of um, GIS platform. We share different information. We work hand in hand with the law enforcement agencies here. We just have to know that we, we are locked together and we're working together to make a a perimeter around what our IT shop is going to do. And that only can happen when you're talking about data sharing. Um, and it's not just here locally in the city areas the, or the counties around it, but if we see something in Jacksonville, we see something in Central Florida, South Florida. I mean, as you know, Florida is kind of one of the primary premier um, states in which you can go to. And, and if you want to do anything and get the news big, hit somewhere in Florida, Orlando, any of the aspects of that right there. And we recognize that all that you're looking for is a gateway in, and they have some idea that we are sharing or having some communication. And so if I can get into one, may even be as small as a, a Quincy shop. Well, I know that law enforcement have to talk at some point. Maybe I can get from Quincy to somewhere else to where I want to go. So if we're not sharing that information, we're not providing that information, it puts us in a bad spot in terms of how do we then protect ourselves. 
Well, the sharing of the information, especially in a, in a cyber attack scenario or a ransomware attack scenario, something like that, any attack scenario front, it's, it's one team. I mean, and that one team goes from local all the way to national. It has to be. And it's also shared with private sector. So I'm not sure, Sarah, if you've got insight on this, but the, I'm sure that the IG probably has some sort of a, uh, they, they look at the capability and the readiness of sharing of information for for security throughout the state, right? Um, sure, and it's it's going to also be hand in hand with the office of the general counsel in each of the agencies. So, you know, you would definitely want to make sure legally that you can share things at the time. But I will tell right. you that the IG community, we do have a role on the incident response team. Right. So we are there at the table. Absolutely outstanding. Mm -hmm. So, so Josh, you know, we're talking that the, the future workplace, I mean, it's going to be a mix that includes large telework force and citizens that are accessing services from the edge from anywhere. I mean, and so how do we best move forward for provisioning these hybrid environments? And then how do we utilize technology to prioritize our modernization? That's a great question. And what we see with a lot of our, with a lot of our, uh, organizations that we work with here in the state of Florida is they do it one step at a time. You know, when you look at modernizing or moving everything to the cloud all at once, it's it's daunting and, and really it's it's an unrealistic task to undertake. So what we see a lot of our customers doing is doing it one step at a time, taking a hybrid approach and really building up that level of comfort with the technology that they're using before they implement a new one. As you know, when you're dealing with the public or with end users of any sort, any type of change to them is most likely an unwelcome change and is going to take some type of training and getting used to period to build up that level of comfort, right? And so we recommend that our customers do the same thing, you know, whereas maybe today you are all on-prem hardware, maybe we can transition one of those tools to the cloud and build up that level of comfort and make sure that it's working the way you would like it to work and that people can can safely and efficiently access. And then we'll take another part of that infrastructure and we'll make, move that up to the cloud and make that scalable. So not only are you able to build the general level of comfort with the public and internally within your own organizations with the tools that they're going to have to use, but you're also building and scaling for a future where you know there's going to be an exponential amount of growth, especially here in the state of Florida, as we've seen over the past few years. Well, it's got it, it, it's continuing to grow and it's growing, I mean, very rapidly. I mean, it and it's not going to stop. So we just we, we basically and then you add to the equation the Internet of Things. Now you have things attaching to the network where they kind of shared their own network before. Now that Internet of Things are attaching to the IT network. And so you have to look at the vulnerability of that because they share, store, and transfer, transmit information across your network. So you got to protect against them too, and protect them also as as a entity on your network that never that we never had to do before. So that's something that's going to be interesting coming down the pike also if it's not already there. So Sarah, we're talking about you know cyber attacks and everything. So what trends are you seeing in the inspector inspector general workforce with regarding cyber and IT? Sure. So I think as many of you in the room have already experienced that um, it's not always easy to hire and uh, find the right people mm -hmm. to fit your positions. I think we've all um, seen articles about the great resignation and silent quitting and that kind of thing and how difficult it is to find people in the cybersecurity field. Well, take that and then also want someone with audit 
we're now we're getting into unicorn status. <laughs> so, so it's definitely been a challenge um, uh, for us. And, and I've always had um, two schools of thought when you try to get an IT auditor, right? So you either hire someone that has IT and you teach them how to audit, or you have an auditor and you teach them IT. So one of the things that the Inspector General in Florida, the community in Florida has done is that under the leadership of our Chief Inspector General has created this uh, career pathways to excellence. Mm. And what she's done is um, uh, very gratefully, the legislature had awarded a million dollars um, in order to help train uh, the Inspector General community. So she she put in some, she has three big initiatives on it, right? One is to train what we have, right? So we we didn't, you know, a study of, okay, how much experience do we have in IT amongst not only our auditors, but our investigators and our analysts, right? Because IT is, even in investigations, they're getting more complex. They're involving, you know, sometimes forensic work and, and complicated issues. So everyone needs to have that language. Um, and be able to talk to the customers or their auditees. So she sent, was able to send 300 auditors, investigators, and analysts from all different agencies and some even local governments um, through a training on the fundamentals of cybersecurity. She also, um, one thing we did too is utilize our existing staff. Um, I mentioned before that we'd had some enterprise audits. So we took some existing staff that had uh, credentials like the Certified Information Security Auditor that actually put together training, three-day training to build up our audit staff. So kind of like a train the trainer, developing a mentoring type thing. So um, the other thing is we have, she has really encouraged and are helping staff work towards certifications. So there are certain certifications that are very helpful in our world. Um, some are recognized um, across, I mean, internationally, right? So there's the um, Certified Inspector Systems Auditor that's um, uh, Information Systems Auditor that's from ISACA. So she was able to send 75 of our senior auditors through that course in the hopes of attaining certification. Um, also, uh, she was able to send 75 IG leadership through the Certified and the Governance of Enterprise Information Technology, or CGIT, also through uh, ISACA, um, in, in order for them also to be certified. And then she's also augmented our workforce with subject matter expertise from the private sector and also from local universities. So I think uh, we mentioned, too, being able to collaborate with some of um, other folks in order to develop these training programs and um, the idea is that we will do ongoing mentorship and coaching. We do a biweekly training session every week about the current enterprise audit that we're doing now um, that we can talk about and share information and kind of best tips on, oh, this is how we tested for that, that kind of thing. So um, definitely a lot of collaboration, but it, we're getting a lot of support from our uh, chief inspector general. So that's kind of where we're focused on in the, in the trends that we're seeing. You know, I take out a couple of things and that's some really great forward thinking on, on the part of the legislature to start with their award the million dollars for, for training. And then on, on the part of, of you folks to stand up the career pathway to excellence, great name, by the way. <laughs> and so, but what it does is it promotes and it invigorates the, the em, employees or the, or the folks that are there, your team, to move forward, to stay on, to get that training and get those certifications. And that's so extremely important. It's a great, I mean, forward thinking, way to go. I mean, super. So Michelle, for county governments and agencies, 
migration and modernization from from legacy systems and infrastructure to um to newer systems and modern technology is daunting to say the least i mean we've been talking about it you know that you not only have the users that have a hard time with that also have your system administrator said hey i like the machine i'm working on i like what i'm doing here so basically what is your strategy for identifying legacy applications suitable for rethinking and modernizing um well i, I saw this on twitter or linkedin or something that legacy systems don't make a legacy and so <laughs> we need to all remember that and so there is definitely um it's worth it to to explore those things all of us have applications that are legacy applications, and many of those are so interconnected with other things, and, and, and especially the large ones. Um, I know, Tim, they're going through an exercise right now with their customer information system, and, and those things, you know, they're embedded in so many offices and so many processes um, that... Uh, it's it is daunting like you say and um you know and the first thing you think about is oh my god it's going to be so expensive oh. number one and number two it's going to take forever to do and um and it does seem like that but you still have to start somewhere you know pick pick a system it, it doesn't really matter which one pick something um and and make that the thing that you're targeting to um to address and for the other ones, do everything you can to protect those from a cybersecurity perspective, um, you know, either protecting them via the network or, or whatever special things you have to do to put those things in and in, uh, to protect those and keep them protected. Um, <clears throat> it's not going to be done overnight. It does take a long time. Um, some will take years to do, and that's okay, you know, but um, if you, once you start peeling back all the layers of the onion and look at how to proceed you know it's going to be a unique thing and but you you can find a way to do that um it, those systems are live out there now they can't so many of them can't get security patches uh many of them have dated code that um is scary to say the least and um and those things do take a long time um i can give an example we had um, an old legacy system that um and, and you know this is this is me sharing here in the room so um we had an old legacy system that um was to handle all our permitting for years and years and years we had that and it had all kinds of special things and how it did it and um about six years ago uh, it was the decision was made to go to a new product to handle that. The mistake that we made was, well, we want to design the software to be just like the old system. Mm -hmm. We want the processes to work the same way. We want, you know, the screens and the reports to look the same way. And so, like Tim explained, you know, can you do that? Well, yes, you can. But should we do that? No, we should not. Uh, but we didn't. We didn't say no. We should not at the time, and we went down that path. We had so many customizations that um, we had custom fields for fields that existed in the solution, you know. But we had other. We had them in a custom field, and so everything had to be a custom report. We couldn't use any of the custom the reports that. that came just out of the box. Mm -hmm. Were we using those fields? Many of those reports would have would have worked. So um, when um, 
I was first introduced to this three years ago. Um, we sat down with everybody and I just listened. I just sat in a meeting and listened and made a list of all these things that they wanted. And what was happening is we had staff, they were coming to the staff and this department would want to have them say, okay, I need you to make this change. And then this department would come and have them undo that change and do a different change. And I mean, this, you know, this circle of uh, uh, effect that just kept on kept a different on kind of development. Itself. Yeah. And so we made a list of everything. We, we got their, a team of their management and a, and a team of ours, and we, we, made, we just made a list. And we said, okay, here's the list. Which of these things are we doing? And nothing's going to get done if it doesn't get approved in this room that it's going to happen. Everybody's got to agree to it or we're not doing it. And, um, and that really cut down on the people coming in individually. They, they've learned it has to be, if it's not on that list, it's not getting done. And so we tracked all those things and we were able to, to make some, some easy scores up front and get them some things that they needed right away by prioritizing those lists. But we knew we had some re-engineering to do. And so about a year and a half ago, we, uh, we started with a re-engineering of all that stuff and getting the fields into the fields they're supposed to be in and, um, and, and change, adapting the processes, the actual business processes to what the software provided. And, um, it, and it, it, you know, it's, it wasn't a shiny project. It was all under the hood. There was nothing to show for it. And it took a long time. And, um, and the staff, you know, just had to keep on keeping on to get it done. But it happened. We finished that up last year. And so now they can easily get reports out of the, the system that they need. And now we're ready to go on to the shiny project. So we're able to, we're looking at other solutions, add-on solutions where we can provide uh, resources to our building community, the building inspectors and things like that, where they'll be able to do everything online. They'll be able to submit everything online and stuff that they, you know, they've been asking for, but we've just not been able to provide for a long time. That's a great lesson learned. I mean, that, that's a great example to share with everybody of, of how it was done and how you had to go in and fix what was done to do it right and get it back to where it was. And it's, I mean, I, I've seen that. We've all seen that. And uh, it, it's great. I mean, that's super. Just uh, just when you get a new thing, make sure you're addressing those business processes and, uh, and adopt them to the way that the solution works rather than trying to force feed the thing to do yep. you know, everything a certain way. Outstanding. Yep. So, Tim, uh, quickly, digital transformation and modernization systems are driven by an increasing need for digital government. So how should we approach legacy modernization to counter the cyber vulnerabilities and spur the digital delivery of services? Um, so as Michelle has already stated, uh, you know, it's always a journey when you're trying to replace applications and, and, um, and she actually mentioned we're in a process. Customer information system. Yeah, customer, <laughs> that's really our utility billing system that's been around for well over 20 years. Wow. Um, and so this week we we're actually doing a cutover plan and, and looking to go live on Monday. Uh, and, and the user community had this had this ceremony last night where they basically put a, a, a desktop with some black uh, cloth over the top and everybody dressed in their, their grieving outfit to say, hey, we're getting ready to later rest <laughs> this legacy application. Mm -hmm. um, 
And to be honest with you, it was a big hurdle to get through from the beginning portion of it. And as I said just earlier, we, we actually went down this technology roadmap. The first thing that we replaced was the IVR system. And we, we changed that whole aspect, brought in AI, brought in uh, biometrics for your um, password. So we got the city is introduced to these changes. Uh, but one of the key pieces of uh, that whole effort, and, and again, for me, uh, I've had experience in, in other industry, other companies with these types of large complex changes. Um, but this one, I made sure we implemented an OCM, which is an organizational change management. And, and many people don't, don't actually put this into the, the, the tool basket of IT directors is that you have to be Dr. Field because you got to now sit down and have a conversation with folks about, I'm not taking your life away, I'm just changing the application. And they have to have this comfort about, no, you're taking my job. No, 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 we're just taking the application. You will have another job. And we went through an entire effort and still going through that same effort of just sitting down with different groups, different departments and talking about just because we changed that application doesn't mean that your job disappears. That was one of the biggest hurdles. As, as many of you know, sometimes it's not the technology that you're implementing, right. it's getting the adoption of the technology that destroys a project because the project won't be successful until they accept that this change is coming. Uh, and so that was one of the big efforts that we've been doing over the, the period of time. And just to have, and, and again, when I talk about that, that, that photo and they actually did some video, videos and they did a, a, a Photoshop of a program and had someone dressed out and had, I mean, it was a whole eulogy aspect going on. It's, it's kind of like, <laughs> whoa. But the, the, the thrill of it was, is that you actually had the departments eager for the new system to come in. They're excited about what new things they're gonna do. That transforms a lot because at the end of the day, it's you were limited by what you could do with this app. Now that we've changed and we put it on a platform in which we can expand the capabilities and levels of services, and we can now introduce different aspects to it. And guess what? We're not paying money on top of money to Michelle's point. We have actually, we told them no customizations. We were, we're not customizing this to fit the city's need. What the city is going to do is we're going to do a process mapping. Okay. We're going to identify what areas need to be addressed. And then we're going to show you where technology can help serve in that, not drive it, but help serve in that standardization about what you're doing. That puts the ownership back into the department that you need to make sure you evaluate what your processes are. Because some of the departments is that, you know, do you know why you're doing this? Uh, well, no, Michelle did that and she retired 15 years ago. Did anybody ever review what that process was? We know it always worked. Okay. Do you, you know that you have the capabilities to do a lot more things and what, and I think a lot of the things where we, we say the bad stuff about COVID, COVID really taught us that you can do some of the things that I know I was pushing. I wanted to do remote. I wanted to do virtual um, collaboration. Uh, we don't have the funds for it, but when COVID hit, signing, I don't care, make it happen, get it up, you know, and it's like, oh, I guess we can work from home and still have productivity um, is in a high level. Yes, we can. Uh, but now we're kind of facing this thing coming back is, well, do we need to bring everybody back? Well, you know, for two years, we said that we were very productive in what we were doing, working remote. So was that a wrong statement that you made before? So we, we're still having that kind of conversation right now, trying to figure out what the, form, the points are. But back to the digital transformation, all of those aspects of what you're trying to do, because again, it was taking the ideal from, hey, we're getting ready to upgrade, put in some new, uh, put, uh, 
actually changed out some application, bringing some tools, it wasn't an IT driven thing because folks come back and say, that's just IT just trying to change things, makes things complicated. I just needed my job to be where it is. My pen has always been on the right side of the desk. My cup of water has been on the left side of the desk. Don't move it. Okay, but you do realize that you are, you're right hand, you drink more than you're, um, than you're right. Well, yeah, I still don't want you to move that though. Those type of things. And so what we're finding is, is that as you start to come down with a digital plan and you're starting to lay out the capabilities that you have, and a lot of it is being driven not by the internal departments, but by our citizens. Because a citizen gets comfortable with now with all every other application that you have, apps on their phone that they do, they want immediate response. They want to be able to do things and they want to get out of the habit of what we think, well, you got to go down to the, 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 the government office here and report. No, I'm on the road, click, take a picture, hit a button, it's submitted over. I still should be able to know what the statuses are, what's going on. It should be able to hit into your system and you create a service order. Somebody from public works should need to be able to go out there and review it. They should be able to uh, fix whatever it is, then send it back to me and do the response. That is not something that is unreasonable to ask. Because again, yep. in today's technology, in today's world, your whole life revolves on this phone. And you pretty much, if you lose the phone, people get out of a place and it's like okay now with this phone now we're able to do a lot more and so we have to ask ourselves in government we can't just sit back and just say i've got a system and we're in support and maintenance mode no we have to be you know in a mode in which we're trying to continue to maintain levels of services that our customers are expecting from us and that kind of drives us into that tech that digital transformation and figuring out how we are to do those things how we are to get not just structured data, how we have to have unstructured data. That you talk about IoT devices. Now you're talking about parking sensors. You're talking about keeping uh, capacity knowledge at, at the different parks, what functions and features and, and events are going on. That somebody can just pick their phone up and then, okay, I know what's happening at this park. I know what's going on over here. I can take my kids to this. I can take my kids to this, those type of things. So that kind of drives us to start thinking out of the box and realizing that, you know, as you said, it's not good to have a legacy application that you just say sits there. You really have to be thinking about what is this application doing for our business units and how are we promoting that in terms of going up? That's outstanding. Thank you so much, folks. It looks like we're out of time. I mean, I could stay up here another hour easily. I'm sure you guys could too, but uh, it's been really interesting. Some great lessons learned. Let's have a hand for our panelists up here. Okay, thank you all. Thanks for listening, and thank you to our guests, Sarah Hall, Tim Davis, Michelle Taylor, and Josh Pearl. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to Caracast, and be sure to listen to our other discussions. If you'd like more information on how Fortinet can assist your organization, please visit www.carasoft.com or email us at fortinet at Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.